Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 208. This week, we talk about New Year's resolutions, DPI, console styling, apps stealing your data, autonomous driving, USB-C, and much, much more. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. Hey, Carl, how's it going? It's going pretty good. How about you, Jason? It's going very well. Happy New Year. We haven't, uh, we haven't recorded an episode since last year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what is, did you, did you have any New Year's resolutions? I, I you know, I, I kind of stopped uh, New Year's resolutions a while ago, but um, I'm, I'm going to kind of like pivot a little bit. It's not really a resolution, but it's, it's a side effect of like where we work. Yeah. So, uh, you know, every employer has many different kinds of benefits and at Microsoft, one of the benefits that we have is the stay fit benefit. And what that is, is it gives, it's a stipend where you can use towards your fitness or exercise equipment and stuff like that. Um, I recently just bought an elliptical machine and, uh, I've always found those great working at gyms, but I just can't make it to a gym consistently. So now I have an elliptical machine in my basement and I, I'm, committing myself to using it on a on a very regular basis well that sounds like so, a resolution yeah so i don't i didn't think of it as a resolution but it's essentially the same thing and it just so happens because of the new year and then you get your money at the beginning of the year it happens at the same time everybody else buys yeah. your equipment so i was able to actually hit up a pretty awesome sale and get uh an elliptical a little bit more than what i would normally be able to afford yeah, I think New Year's resolutions are stupid overall. <laughs> and 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 the reason that I say that is because I think whatever your goal is, like it needs to be uh sustainable and attainable. I didn't mean for those to to rhyme like that, but uh, you know, I think it needs to be something sustainable. So, starting it on January 1st seems super arbitrary to me. So, you know, if you sort of miss this January 1st first date and you're like, "Oh, I didn't have a resolution in place by that date." Just start now. You know, and if you're halfway through the year and you, you want to do something to, to better yourself, just start then. Like you can start at any time. Yeah. I heard uh, somebody on Twitter. I wish I could remember their name. Um, I forgot who it was that says, you know, it's kind of arbitrary that everybody does, uh, January 1st. Cause that doesn't mean much to most people. Mm -hmm. But if you were to like tie that to maybe like your birthday mm -hmm. that like, Hey, this is, you know, that's something personal to you. You're like, okay, in this year, like while I'm, you know, 23 or while I'm 40 or whatever your age is, Hey, these are the changes I want to make to myself in this year. You know, I, I think I did get a little bit more introspective cause I just had my 40th birthday. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like, you know, base 10, evenness that, uh, <laughs> that, that makes you just kind of uh, like, I hear humans enjoy base 10 numbers. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, you know, you know, it just gives you a time to like, you know, you, you put your own meaning into it and, uh, you know, it's like, you know, what do I want to accomplish in this decade? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And, 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 you know, I guess the, my perspective on it comes from the fact that, you know, I, I hear, and I actually, I always, I always skip the first week of the year at the gym, um, because, you know, everybody talks about how it's, it's so busy for the first week. And then after that, just everybody, you know, disappears. So it's like, I, you know, clearly January 1st is, is, is not a great day to start something if you want it to stick. 
So th- this is also hilarious because I bought the gym equipment on January 2nd and yeah. I had been y- paying for a gym membership that I haven't used in like five months, which is what they love. Yeah. So I went in on January 2nd to cancel <laughs> my gym membership. <laughs> well, I'm sure the line was sh- much shorter than the, uh, the the new gym membership line, but you're right. That's the, all of their money is made on people that don't go. I mean, they, they really don't want you to go. <laughs> the the ratio at places like Planet Fitness, I you know, there's just insane numbers. I mean it's oh, like yeah. a it's like a thousand to one or something. So which makes sense. Um and then, you know, from a from a podcast perspective, I guess one thing that we're really gonna try to do, um, we we wanna get back on a more I don't wanna say consistent, but I'll say I'll say regular schedule, which would be, you know, a weekly schedule. And like today we're recording without a guest. We find it that there's certain uh, times that it's very difficult to get a guest. And then we've used that as an excuse in the past to, uh, you know, to just not record that episode. So we're just going to throw away that excuse. And we're going to say that uh, we're going to record the episode regardless. And then everybody has to suffer through just us talking, you know, so be sure to to send us your ideas for guests and even ideas for topics that just Carl and I could could talk about. Um, we won't promise to be informed on the matter, but we will still talk about it nonetheless. So if that's what you're into, uh, shoot us an email. <laughs> okay. So what do we have for the comment of the week, Carl? Uh, this week's comment came to us off Twitter from Brett Slasky, mm-hmm. uh, definite friend of the show. Um, he said, uh, at MS Dev Show, the discard, uh, and that's the discard identifier that we talked about uh, when I was uh, brought up the tip uh, to help you remove those warnings when you're trying to just ignore the async um, and just let it kind of fire off yeah, in the background. Fire forget, yeah. yeah, the discard identifier reminded me of the Golang blank identifier. They both use an underscore too. Mm. Yeah, there's... Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know that's a, a fairly new uh, change to C sharp, and I think Golang had that from the beginning. So, you know, it's really nice when you can have these modern languages that still evolve and, and pull the best from each other and kind of make them all better. Yeah, well, it's a great idea. So, sounds good yeah. to me. Oh, thanks for reaching out, Brett. If you want to get mentioned on the show like him, uh, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com or reach out to us on Twitter. We especially love those five-star iTunes reviews. Yes, we do. Um, okay, so we do have some news items to go through. Actually, we have a whole bunch. Uh, so the first one here, in recent builds of Windows 10, Task Manager's Details View includes an optional DPI awareness column to help you understand and identify DPI-related issues, especially with legacy apps. You want to talk about this one? Yeah, so what what they're really talking about here is occasionally you're going to have an app, and I think like uh, SQL Server Management Studio has always been like a really bad one for this. Uh, they'll either be like get blurry, or sometimes the content will be like really huge in parts of the app or really small, and they just look out of place. And that's because uh, with the new monitors that we have uh, going anywhere from you could have like a 1080p to a 4K, uh, some people have 5K monitors. Uh, when you do the scaling for that, um, those older applications don't know how to stretch things out properly, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they're not uh, recompiled with some some newer methods. Um, so if you're thinking that, hey, this app isn't looking right, now in the task manager, you can pull up or add this extra column called DPI awareness and see what 
it's actually reporting that the app is capable of doing. Um, so I think you looked it up uh, yeah. earlier, Jason. Because <laughs> I was like, what are the options? The tweet, the tweet doesn't even mention the options. It, it just showed one of them. Yeah, so per monitor means that like your monitor is set to a certain scale factor. And you might have a different monitor that's a different size with a different scale factor. And your application is aware of per monitor settings. So if you drag it from one to the other, it'll switch. But what are the other options, Jason? Yeah, so there's also unaware, <laughs> which, which it is says, probably pretty bad. Yeah, so it says basically when you go through a DPI change, it does bitmap stretching, which makes it blurry. So I think it's essentially just doing scaling. Um, and then there's also system, which appears to be exactly the same thing, except that unaware, it says all displays are 96 DPI. Um, so basically it just... You know, I'm I'm guessing if that, that's if you don't have any drivers or it doesn't know what type of monitor you have, um, it's just totally guessing on what your DPI would be. So it just goes defaults to 96. Uh, but system will use the DPI of the primary display at the time the Windows session was started. Uh, okay, so so if you have multiple monitors and they have different scaling, whichever one is default, that's yep. the scaling that'll be used for the other monitor as well. Yeah, which I think it is, is a tidbit in and of itself because. You might want to pick, well, depending on whether you want things to get twice as big or half as big, whenever you move it to your other screen, uh, that might help you choose which monitor you're using. Like if you have a 4K monitor and a 1080p, uh, you make that 4K monitor your primary, um, that's going to change you know, what happens on the secondary display. Uh, then there was per monitor, which is actually from Windows 8.1 and beyond, um, and that one um, it says the DPI of the display that the application window is primarily located on. Um, and that's the application's view of the DPI. But it says that the window itself is notified of a DPI change. You know, So basically, when you drag the window to another window, it gets notified, hey, you need to change your DPI. And then it doesn't do any scaling of the UI elements. So I think, I think that was kind of the original, um, you know, kind of where things started from a scaling perspective. And then the uh, per then there's also per monitor v2, which was rolled out in Windows 10 Creator Update. Um, ver, uh, that would have been in uh, March of 2017. Um, so this one, um, it does it will do actually do automatic DPI scaling of certain areas. So it says non-client area themed around bitmaps. I think what they're getting at here is that there's some uh, basically you know hey you didn't update your application. Um, if you did update your notification, you're gonna you're actually gonna get a, no, a notification anytime the DPI changes, so you can handle that. But if you didn't update your your application and it's and it's old, then they're going to make some intelligent choices for you to try to fix the app, uh, which is which is really what you yep. want. And that's why we've seen the DPI scaling get better over time. So this will you know basically you go into your task manager, add this as a column, and you can start to see you know basically explains the behavior that you're seeing and. I guess the other thing to add to this, and, and you can probably look on your machine real quick, Carl, but if you like right-click on an application, I think if you go under troubleshooting, I think you can change some of your DPI settings as to whether or not it scales. If I remember, there's some troubleshooting things in there. Um, so that's the other thing you can do. Yeah, and, and one other thing I'd like to mention, because I actually ran into this too. So these this is for how your apps work on your monitor. Mm -hmm. If you have an application that uses the system tray, so it puts those like little icons down at the on your taskbar, mm -hmm. uh, there's actually a very similar DPI-related issue where you can respond to events and update your 
uh, icons that show there properly. Um, I actually had an issue because I have an app in the App Store that ut- utilizes that. And I, I would notice that if I opened and closed my Surface Book to use my external monitors versus the internal screen, every time I did that, it would get blurrier. And it took a little bit of figuring out that, hey, this is I have to react to this event that I didn't know I had to handle. Yeah. It and, is funny uh, that they would only do it one way, though. That you're, you kept getting blurrier and blurrier. <laughs> well, you think of it this way. You know, it, you know, it tries to rescale it every time. And the way that internally it knew how to do that was take the image we already had in memory and scale that one. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of amusing, the end result. Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, console messages. So, you know, we've talked about uh, sites with awesome console messages. We, we did, uh, did that on the uh, last episode. Uh, so how do we actually make really cool uh, web console messages, Carl? So uh, go to the show notes and you'll definitely want to check this out, but there's a lot of different things on there. So one thing that I guess I could have assumed, but never knew is you can do like C style, a string interpolation. So you can do like uh, a percent S and then uh, put in another parameter, and whatever is that next parameter will be substituted out in that percent %s. So they show, like, hello, space, percent %s, exclamation point, and then use the poo emoji for the next input. And then the result in your console is hello, poo emoji, exclamation. So, I mean, that's very simple. It allows you to, like, go loop through an array and be able to swap stuff out like that. Uh, but the next one I thought was really interesting as well. Uh, you can actually input uh, CSS styling into your uh, console. So uh, you can do things like uh, the font size, the background color, uh, the color itself, the alignment. So you can have, like, you know, a yellow background with red text that stands out and it's larger font you can specify the font so that allows you to get pretty creative right there why would you do this like (laughs) you know scientists were (laughs) so preoccupied whether they could they didn't think about whether they should so So (laughs) i i actually got this off a tweet i I did lose the tweet that i got it from i wish i had the uh who gave it to us but one of the comments down on on there is you know how long before we get to the first website that is console only (laughs) yeah yeah so well it's actually a good point right you're gonna have two copies of the website you have like the 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 normals version and then you have like the web developer version (laughs) you know so so you go to the restaurant site and the designer you know, had a client and the, the client said, oh yeah, I want this giant image. And then we're going to hide our phone number and directions, you know, five levels deep or whatever. And then you go to the web developer version and it just says like in text, like here's their phone number, here's their location, here are their hours. Um, you know, we're going to see that type of thing. Now, I, I think the only practical use case I can think of this, because I know you can display things like tables and stuff. Like, and actually we'll talk about that here in a minute, but one of the useful things could potentially be like log levels, I guess. Oh, I that's the, precisely the thing that I was thinking of. If you yeah. want text to stand out. Yeah. Or even if you have like, maybe there's something that's going on in the background and your console is aware of measuring that. Mm-hmm. You could have like a, prog- a progress indicator. Yeah. That's in there and that's animated. I mean, you know, some of those things aren't necessarily needed per se. You could always just show like a percentage that just keeps tacking down at the bottom but sometimes it is those nice little flourishes that make the overall experience nicer even if it is just a dev tool yeah okay so speaking of dev tools what other commands can we run in there um you can use uh console.dir parentheses console and parentheses and what does that give us jason 
Well, that just pukes out <laughs> all the things that you can do. So somebody also mentioned if you just type in console in the console, it gives you a very similar result. I think there's like one or two things missing. So that, that can be the shortcut version for people who are listening. Uh, but it gives you a whole list of console commands. So you get uh, assert, clear, uh, context, count. I'm not going to go through all of them. Trying to think of what I've used in here. There, there are different uh, like log messages because you can do like log and then info. Uh, table is the is the one that's kind of mind blowing. Uh, if you want to display some data in a table, you can use the table command. Um, and then one in here too is this. Uh, is it the time one? I think it's the time one. Um, where you do this, I can't remember exactly what the usage is, but basically it allows you to time different operations. And then it gives you a friendly, you know, like if you're painting something on the screen, you can start the timer before, you can turn it off after, and it will actually, you know, it, it'll be a, a nice precise timer in your console that displays it in a nice format for how long that particular operation lasts. And so there are a whole bunch of really cool commands in here built in. Yeah, and there's sometimes that you just want to do a few things and you're not quite sure what the syntax is. And this is a nice, just quick way to remind yourself what those might be. Yeah, just type console. Boom. Um, let's see, what do we got next? Did anyone else know you could select multiple apps like this on iOS? You showed this to me and you were... Uh, maybe, maybe a little too excited. <laughs> I, I was very excited. I, th- there's been times, and, and I think part of the reason why I was really excited, because I found this right before I actually needed it. Uh, like on iOS, like you might want to put like a bunch of apps into the same folder, like you're creating a games folder, or you're, you're just trying to like, just organize how your, your home screen is. Uh, what you do is if you kind of, you tap and hold, so you make everything all bouncy. Uh, if you move icon a little bit, out of its spot, you can actually, with a second figure, finger, drag other icons that are bouncing on top of that one. And as you do, a number will increase, showing you how many that are in there. And then once you're done, you can drag all that into another folder or move them to a different screen. Yeah, what did I do wrong here? Okay, so I'm going to hold. You so have to all, move it a bit. All, oh, okay, yeah, I got to move it over. Ah! I moved it off the screen. This is harder than it looks. This is not. This is not an intuitive gesture. That's for sure. Okay, so I've hold on here. I've moved. That's it. why you've never found it. Ah, there you go. Tap, tap, tap. And then what I love is that I can drag them all to a different screen. That that to me, when you first showed it to me, you showed it as like a grouping mechanism, which is is handy. But I think the handier use here is, you know, I, I didn't show you what you could all do with it. No, I you just did. showed you the, the. Yeah, you've totally failed me until now. So <laughs> you can, <laughs> I have a couple screens of just garbage, right? Because like the last 20 apps that I downloaded are, are on my miscellaneous screens, I'll call them. And this is great because I've sort of given up uh, with a lot of, you know, organizing a lot of these apps because I just don't want to basically going from like page four to page one. It's like this. You know, get it wiggling, move it to three, move it to two, move it to one, place it where you want it. And that's a huge pain. So this is actually really useful for that, I have to say. Or you can, like you showed me, you can put it into a group and you can move it that way, which is which is just as cool, I think. So that is a cool tip. So uh, in our show notes, we have a link to that tweet. And that has a little video which shows if you're, if you're having a hard time doing this. But uh, yeah, once you once you get the app wiggling and move it, you can tap other ones and, and grab them. Uh, let's see here. City of Los Angeles accuses Weather Channel app of covertly mining user data. I'm in shock, Carl. Absolute shock. Yeah. And, and for a little bit more context, it says the Weather Channel app has been downloaded 100 million times and has 45 million active users. Wow. 
well, yeah, I mean, if you want weather, you like search for weather. <laughs> so pretty smart calling it weather. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, this, you know, getting away from like what they did or did not do, I think it just brings up a point of, you know, how we just have no idea what apps that are doing, even if they're declaring their usage, they're not fully disclosing what they're using it for or how badly they're using it. I believe I saw one version of this article that claims, once again, I don't didn't verify it, that one single person on one day was tracked 14,000 locations, instances, yeah. for for them in a 24-hour period. And it's like, with that kind of detail, that that's kind of scary. You know, if one place can figure out my exact location pretty much to the meter mm-hmm. of any given day. Yeah, so 14,000 does sound high. Uh, so I'll give you a little information on this because I actually did write an iOS app. It was just for me. I've talked about it. I talked about it a long, long time ago on the show. But that that iOS app, one of the things that I had it do was um, whenever there was quote unquote, a significant location change. And I'm sure Android has something else and they might call it something different. But in iOS, it's called a significant location change. Uh, it would basically wake my app up and then I would uh, I could respond to that. And what I would do is I actually sent it to, I think I was sending it to an Azure function or it could have been a, a basically a, an API that I had in a Docker container. And then I would store them in a SQL database because I just wanted a SQL database that had all my locations in it. Um, and then I was calculating like distance, you know, that I've gone and things like that. I, I wanted to own my location data. Um, so 14,000 seems high, not implausible. So, but we'll just, we'll just say that, okay, 14,000 is legit. But uh, the, the, I guess the PSA that I want to tell everybody is like, on your apps, like go in and, and look at what is, is using your location. The nice thing is on, on iOS, at least you can go in and, and not only look at a per app basis, but you can actually look at uh, location. And then, you know, they, they basically give you like two different pivots into this. You can actually look at location and then see what uh, apps uh, things are using. Um, Or is it under privacy? What is that under Carl? Oh yeah, so I, you, yeah. So you go under your uh, your settings, and then you go under privacy, and then you go under uh, location services. Under the location services section, you can see everything that's using it. And I guess what I would do is I would I would opt to turn off as much as you can. Um, and the ones that do need location, but while you're using it, there is that setting while using that did not used to exist in iOS. That's a that that started like a year or two ago. Um, and that's a, that's a huge feature. It used to be that if they requested your location, they could always track you in the background. Um, so I'm looking at mine right now and I can see like the, like the airline apps, you know, they, they want to know your location, but I just said, while I'm using it, that's really all they need. Um, I do have some, my security software, I have stuff for always. And then I do have a weather app. I use carrot weather and it's said for always. Uh, Google Maps, I have set for always. See, that's that one's probably a mistake, right? Because that one, I think that's so that it can use your location in the background whenever you're doing navigation, but I use Waze. So in Waze, you know, I had to give it access always as well. Uh, but the rest, you know, just go through there. Just practice a little bit of personal hygiene on your location services. And because, uh, you know, so many of these apps are doing this. Now, whether it, it needs that, right? Like if, if you want to, if you want to get like weather alerts, you need it to do that. So maybe just take off the wet. Well, you know, I guess it's just a ledge at this point. <laughs> you can wait and see how this pans out. I'm not sure what to trust. The built-in weather app is probably just fine. 
Yeah, I mean, but it, it comes down to you know not just this, but there's there's other capabilities on uh, the various app stores. Uh, for instance, I personally have an app that disables the the, the caps lock key on, on your keyboard. Very simple app. It's in it's in the Microsoft Store, but it's a desktop app. <clears throat> uh, you know, desktop bridge app, I should right. say, Project Centennial. And because of that, just because of the technology that I chose, I am required to use the capability that says uses all system resources. <laughs> and I've, I've had some somebody reach out to me. It's like, why do you need all of my resources just to disable the keycap? I'm like, I don't, and I'm not. The only thing I'm doing is just literally reading the keyboard hooks. But because of that, the way that I'm packaging older technology into the app store, um, it, it requires me to say that. And most and most users are probably totally unaware, right? Because my first thought was, hey, Carl, why don't you put it at the bottom of the description? Hey, we require this, but you know, here's why. But guess what? You're actually going to scare off more users, right? Because yep. 95% of your users are just like, I don't know what that means. You know, it must be a computer thing. And, and, and that's going to be an issue. Um, so that, that one's tough. I mean, I, I think... I mean, it's just kind of unfortunate that that has to be the case. I mean, and stop stealing people's data there, Carl. But um, <laughs> you can see I've made millions. <laughs> yeah, Carl. Carl's rich. It's so nice of him. You know, he's a multi-billionaire and he still does this podcast. Um, yeah, that's that's a tough situation. But yeah, just I, I I just ask that everybody pay attention a little bit more. Like kudos to that guy, I guess, for for reaching out um, and, and being concerned with that because we really should be more concerned about this. And if you do have a choice of app, I mean, sometimes we don't, uh, but if you do have a choice, then, then avoid those apps. Like I, I actually don't, I don't have Facebook on my phone. Now this, this is going to sound really terrible because I do have Instagram and I know it's stealing all the same data as Facebook. Um, I don't know. I, I think I'm just going to delete Instagram. That's probably my answer, but I don't have Facebook on my phone and, and I do have a, a shortcut to it so that it opens up in my web browser, but at least in the web sandbox, like it can't be stealing all of this stuff. I mean, they can use cookies and they can do, there's still web-based tricks they can do, but the web still has like sort of this layer of privacy that apps, uh, you know, just don't have. So, I mean, that's another tip for you. Ask for any app on your phone, is there actually an integration that's required? And, um, and if not, then, then I would probably just get rid of it. So anyway, we probably talked that to death. Any final comments? No. Okay. Just be careful out there, everybody. Um, or, or maybe you just don't care. Like <laughs> my, my, my location data is not that interesting. Um, I mean, my only concern would be like, if you're tracking me, like when I'm not home, uh, to rob me or something, but guess what? My house is surrounded with 4k cameras and, um, yeah, <laughs> let's see here. Uh, come get your free NSA reverse engineering tool. So that is actually the title of an upcoming session at the RSA conference. So what's going on is NSA is going to be releasing their uh, reverse engineering tool sets. Uh, it's known as, I'm not even going to uh, pronounce this, G-H-I-D-R-A. And it's, uh, uh, I also am going to put a link in the show notes to uh, a Reddit topic on this uh, by people who have actually used this NSA tool before because NSA has allowed other countries to use it. Mm -hmm. And somebody compares it to other equivalent like reverse engineering or decompilers that are already on the market. And apparently, you know, it's very comparable to the um, existing public tool ones. But when you want to do those really deep, crazy reverse engineering things, it's, it's better. Yeah. Uh, according to people who claim to have used it before. So um, 
if you're the kind of person who just likes tinkering with technology, I always like peeking in uh, using like .NET Peak or some of those other tools when I know that I'm getting some uh, .NET binaries. Um, but this would be really cool because it isn't just a technology specific. It works across Windows, Macintosh, and Unix and Linux uh, operating uh, systems and uh, binaries. So that's pretty much allows you to get to anything and figure out how anything works. So I'm going to be uh, looking forward to uh, when these tools get released in about two months. Raygun provides full-stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, a product manager drowning in bug reports, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full-stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com. Get up and running within minutes and dramatically improve the online experiences of your users. Uh, GitHub free users now get unlimited free private repositories. And I'm actually pretty upset about that. <laughs> Why is that, Carl? This is good news. Yesterday, I got charged for my private <laughs> repos. Well, thank you, Carl. Um, it's very nice of you to fund everybody's free repos. <laughs> it must have been the extra billion you threw them. Um, yeah, so I don't know what else there is to say about this other than this is amazing. Um, I've actually never paid for their free repositories. I actually think, you know, at least personally, and I, I guess I'm probably in the minority here, this actually drives pretty good behavior uh, for me because I tend to make my repositories public instead of having them just be private. Uh, so I don't know if I'm going to have any private repositories, but I think this is a great move. But the thing that I did notice at the end of it here was that the story was originally scheduled for January 8th, uh, but apparently somebody broke their embargo uh, on, this, on today. We're recording on the 7th. Uh, so they decided to publish this early. So on the 8th, is when everything is uh, is rolling out, but uh, or maybe they'll push the button today. I don't know. I saw something on Twitter right before. But usually uh, companies are pretty good about when stuff like that happens to kind of you know make good. Yeah, I just saw Nat on Twitter. I don't know. Oh yeah, right here today, <laughs> and you put an ex exclamation point in parentheses. We're thrilled to announce unlimited free private repositories for all GitHub users, and new simplified enterprise and a new simplified enterprise offering. So that's actually that's hot off the presses here. Um, so actually, we'll we'll link to that blog post now that that's actually out. Um, yeah, and GitHub Developer is now called GitHub Pro. But anyway, we'll let everybody read through the details because we haven't even had a chance to read them. But uh, yeah, so don't uh, don't pay your $84 or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I wonder if they're going to do refunds for people who did in the last couple of days or probably not. I think you just, I think you just <laughs> out that money. money. I think you just out that money. It's okay because part of it comes back to you and me. So it's all good. Um, so that was all we had for news stories. I, the, the, the next topic I want to talk about actually was... Um, I it was basically self-driving car stuff. And because um, I actually got a new car for my wife. Um, she had a relatively new van, um, but we just didn't, we didn't need that. You know, our kids are getting older. We didn't need that much space anymore. And with our current garage, it was actually, it didn't fit very well. It was really difficult to put in the garage and take out of the garage. Um, luckily, 
we had, you know, it was a Honda Odyssey and had really, really good resale value. So I was able to really like not lose my shirt too much on that. And we picked up a, uh, a Subaru Crosstrek. Um, actually a friend of ours has, uh, Sean has one of those too. And, um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a tiny little car. It's a Subaru. So it has four wheel drive. It's great in the snow. I don't, you know, this isn't a car show, so I don't need to go over all those details. But one of the things that I thought was interesting about it has this system called eyesight. Um, it basically has, um, two eyeballs, uh, I'll call them eyeballs. They're really cameras that are like mounted at the top of the windshield. And, um, basically since there's two cameras, it gives it depth. And I don't know if there's anything going on other than just pure, a pure vision system, but it basically makes it so that the, the car is theoretically, you know, very difficult to crash. If you try to rear end somebody, it will basically slam on the brakes for you. Um, if you try to, you know, if you're in the situation where you're sort of looking the other direction and you try to hit the gas, you know, as you're merging and somebody is in front of you, you thought they went, but they didn't, um, it'll actually, you know, take power from the wheels and then it will put on the brakes for you. So you don't rear end them that way. Uh, it's got rear parking sensors so that if you back up, it will, it will actually hit the brakes before you run into somebody that direction. Um, and then it, instead of a sort of a side effect of that, it has, um, adaptive cruise have have you you've never had a car though with adaptive cruise right carl nope so i've i've heard anybody who i've ever heard that has had adaptive cruise has said it's like the greatest thing ever and i never really wanted to try it because then i knew that i would feel the same way um and i would i would need it like on all my vehicles which is you know a little frustrating because my truck does not have it that's an option i don't have on there well anyway it really is as good as what people say and it's funny because anytime I hear anybody explain it, I, I think they explain it a little more complicated than they should. I will give you the super basic explanation. Uh, it basically is cruise control that won't let you rear end somebody, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, you know, you, you're on the highway, you set your cruise control. Normal cruise control, you know, if there's a car in front of you that's going five miles an hour slower, eventually you would just run into them. What adaptive cruise does is it, it just matches your speed to them and slows you down. And what's kind of neat about this, I don't know if all adaptive cruise systems do this, but it will, this will slow you down, you know, by letting off the throttle and it will also apply the brakes if it has to. And it's smart about it. Like if, if you're on the highway, you know, going 80 miles an hour, like it keeps a good distance. And, uh, and then if you're you know, going around town, like it, it maintains a closer distance and you can, you can actually pick, you know, there's some settings in there for like, I want to be super close. I want to be a tailgater or I want to give tons of distance. But this system, um, and, and while you're going around town, uh, it'll actually bring you to a complete stop. So if you're doing city driving and you're just behind another car, you never have to touch the brake or the gas because it will, it will just speed up. It's it, just imagine that there is like a bungee cord attached from your car to the car in front of you. Um, so it is actually really stress-free. And um, the reason I wanted to bring it up on the show was, you know, we've talked about autonomous driving and about, you know, there's, we've, we've had some debates about, you know, like what this technology looks like. And we've also talked about how technology like this can really augment humans and make uh, both, you know, both human, you know, you know, together, uh, you're much more powerful, right? Um, so, you know, I first get this and, and I'm setting the adaptive cruise. I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this is the greatest thing ever. And I, and I still feel that way. Um, but what's kind of interesting is you quickly realize that, you know, you're, 
you don't really need to drive the car that much. So you are more inclined to, you know, like start looking around. I could see people looking at their phones more, uh, paying less attention to the road for sure. And that was kind of the unintended side, uh, side effect that, that I was, I was a little concerned about. The other thing this car does with those cameras is it, it actually knows where the, the lane markers are. And it will actually, if you start veering out of your lane, it'll steer you back in. And I've actually played with this feature quite a bit and it's kind of interesting. Um, it's, you know, not full autonomous driving, but essentially, I mean, if you're going on the road, uh, you can take your hand off the brakes, the gas, and if you're following somebody, you know, you can, you can take your hands off the wheel and it will drive. I mean, it's basically, they, they've basically given you autonomous driving without telling you. Um, it does have a little bit of a ping pong effect. If you start, you know, whenever you start going out of the lane, it'll sort of turn the wheel the other direction and then you'll ping pong and it keeps turning sharper and sharper. Um, it warns you about that in the manual. Um, so essentially I'm able to play with some, you know, a basic, what I would call really basic, or I I don't know what the level is. I think you might know this better, but a basic autonomous driving system. Um, so I actually have a little bit of experience with it now. Um, I think as far as like augmenting humans, I think the technology is amazing. It makes for to be far less stressful. And I do feel much more confident, you know, when my wife says, Oh, look at that store over there. You know, if the person in front of me slams on their brakes, like I feel much safer. Um, and I, and I suspect that I am safer overall. Like I, I believe that self-driving and autonomous vehicles are going to be safer overall. Like there's no doubt in my mind that they will exceed humans in, in like every capability because they will have better sensors. They will have more sensors. Um, but you know, to sort of, to sort of counter this whole thing too, um, is some of the things that I've talked about before. Like, so I was on the highway and you know, there, it was raining and a lot of water got kicked up. And I'm like, I wonder at what point the system, like, what is it going to do? You know, cause I was, I, I was actually using the adaptive cruise system in like really terrible conditions, conditions in which like, I'm not sure like that it would necessarily have been able to stop quick enough. Um, like I maintained a good distance. So that was, that was sort of my buffer there. But if I would have been on the close mode, basically like tailgating now, I'm not sure if it would have been able to stop in time. Uh, but what was the most concerning was I'm, I'm going down the highway and and like I said, a whole bunch of water is getting kicked up and it's just, you know, misting, fogging, like, you know, just horrendous conditions. So you know what the failure mode is, Carl? It all just turns off. <laughs> there you go. So all of a sudden, the things you've been relying on are gone. No yep, warning. Yep. It, it just beeps and says, and it, I think, I can't remember the exact message. I wish I had a picture of it, but it's, it says something like, eyesight disabled, poor conditions. <laughs> And this is the. Does it at least do it in a charming accent? <laughs> no, it's just a message like on the screen, and uh, you know, if, if you're the stereo cranked up, um, or I don't know, like there's, you might not even hear it, I, and and I don't know exactly what happens in that particular case. You know, I, I've heard these reports of you know self-driving cars being much safer than humans today, um, and and I believe that, and I believe it for you know very good conditions. And I, I don't, I don't need to beat a dead horse, but I mean, this is the edge cases that I'm talking about until, until we have a system that can, can deal with that. And I have no doubt that there are sensors that can, you know, power through the water and they will be better than human vision. And you remove, you know, just bad drivers and and all of these other things. Like the future is super bright, but I am still, I am still just very bearish on like when this is going to happen. I, I just, I don't. I don't know at what point we're going to think we're going to, everybody's going to just, you know, put their hands together and just say, oh, yep, we have perfected this technology. It is good to go. Let's ship it. And that's that. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, I must say that with all that, 
said, I, I do like the approach that many of the automakers are doing on putting this in. They're they're doing a good job of these being an augmentation, not something that you kind of click in and, and zone out on yet. Mm-hmm. Until we get to the point where it absolutely can do that, it's it's building up our comfort with using this technology in limited aspects. Yeah, and and I also think that um, it's really interesting. I, I saw an ad this morning for um, the. Uh, a car made by the same manufacturer as you saying that that eyesight was standard on a particular model. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at some of these features being pushed out maybe a little bit faster than uh, conveniences uh, for vehicles used to take, and they're pushing them more broadly. Uh, I know that both of us recently bought several uh, several vehicles. In your case, um, <laughs> don't don't remind me. <laughs> I'm not repeating 2018. I bought way too much in 2018. <laughs> but I mean, you can really just pay a lot of money for a little bit of technology, and to see them push making some of these, you know, not just conveniences, but in many cases safety features, making them standard uh, more aggressively. Uh, I, I think that's huge, huge for people. yeah. And, and, and here's my thought on it. Like, I'm glad they're starting to make it standard. But even if you have to pay for this, like, I see a lot of people asking, like, oh, should I pay an extra $2,500 for this feature? If it saves you from rear-ending somebody one time, then absolutely. I mean, that's that's the reality. Because guess what? Like, insurance, warranties, like, they're all just scams. Like, you know, have you ever seen, like, a small, crappy insurance building? Maybe the agents, right? But not <laughs> the insurance company itself. Like, they have a huge building with thousands of employees and they are making lots of money. Um, and that's not because they just, they just pay out, you know, instantly or, you know, just for fun. And, um, you know, car insurance companies, in my experience, are usually pretty good. I mean, they're at like the better end of the spectrum. But guess what? If you buy this system and it avoids an accident, like that is insurance with pretty much a guaranteed payout. Like you don't have to deal with, you know, fighting it, having that go in your record, having to pay higher premiums. So, you know, I just, I, I want this for everybody. And I actually, I mean, I, I could go crazy and say like, everybody should just have the eyesight system. Like it is, it is kind of crazy that the people, you know, and, and I understand, like, I'm, I'm not like a, a total commie here, but the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, I, I would love to see this on every single car. Um, but you know, I realized like somebody would have to, actually have to pay for that, but we would save a ton of lives. So, you know, we have sort of made this choice, like we're not going to spend that money and do that. Now, at the same time, now, you know, I got to balance all the positive with, with the, with the negative. Um, So this, this eyesight system, you know, is made by Subaru. Subaru is currently in, uh, they are, they're getting sued. It's a class action lawsuit because their Starlink system, which is their entertainment system in the car is just absolute junk. Like it, 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 there's so many bugs and shortcomings and failures and, you know, I don't, I assume there's two different teams working on these things and hopefully there's more investments going into the eyesight system, but I'm just saying we haven't mastered software yet. So this, this magical world where, I mean, is, is self-driving going to be the first thing where we say, yep, we've mastered this software, but we still can't figure out how to, you know, make like the FM radio work. Right. Um, I mean, is that going to be the case? Like that, that is why I'm just, I'm, I'm just really negative on this. And, and I have heard stories of like, you know, people's brakes getting randomly slammed on. I'm kind of waiting uh, to see. The system seems very good. I'm very positive on it. Um, I also do wonder, and, and this is, now I'm just getting really negative, but you know, if I sort of think in the future, like what cars will look like in 10 years, um, you know, let's say that they look more like they look in some kind of, sci- you know, pick your sci-fi movie of choice. Uh, maybe they're, 
not as tall or maybe they're super tall. I don't know. That's sort of the trend that things are going. Um, the vision system, we know these cars don't update any systems, right? And I really don't think a vision system is going to get an update. What happens when it's, it's view or it's idea of what a car looks like, uh, isn't valid anymore. There are now things on the road that don't look like cars. Um, you know, now it doesn't recognize them. I mean, this would be a really bad example, but what if you had, what if on your truck, Carl, you had it, you know, you had the, one of these, uh, these vinyl stickers put on and you just wanted your truck to look like a pristine field or maybe like a road. Um, you know, so now your truck looks like a road and granted the vision system is, you know, has two different eyes, so it should be able to see that, uh, one could be obstructed. And, and again, it's just, it's just edge cases and, people are going to get complicit and there's, there's going to be accidents related to that. Again, the net benefit I think will be that, you know, software will, will ultimately better be better drivers. Um, I would also love, I, I really wish that adaptive cruise would take, uh, take on a little bit more, take over a little bit more. It makes me a way safer driver when I'm on the highway. I just lock into the person in front of me and I just, I just don't worry about what speed they're going. And um, I think it would be kind of cool to get like more caravans going. You know, you have, uh, you know, morning rush hour. And basically if everybody turned on adaptive cruise, everybody would be going identical speed that would solve 99% of the problems that you have on a highway, right. With people going different speeds and changing lanes and causing accidents. So like, there's also just some simple technologies that, that we could implement if they were, you know, if we could get them to, you know, 75% of drivers, 85, 95% of drivers, they would make everybody a lot safer. So just some thoughts. What, anything you want to throw on there, Carl? No, I, you know, I think it's really interesting because you have insight now that you have a vehicle with it. Yeah. And, you know, I have a vehicle that's probably one of the last vehicles to not have them with it. So, you know, it's interesting to hear your, your perspective, but until I actually experience it more on my own, granted, I rode with you the other day, so I was able yeah. to see a little bit of how that adaptive cruise worked. And it was pretty cool but until were, were you a little of, were you a little scared <laughs> eh, not really because it's i think it's a little it's a little crazy when you turn it on and then the person in front of you stops at a stoplight and you're and i'm sitting there like not doing anything <laughs> it's a it's a little tough to turn over that trust yeah and in, until you experience that firsthand a little bit more especially behind the wheel you know it's hard to you know, visualize what some of those things are like or what your concerns might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you know, so all of this being said, like I, I feel much, you know, I have, I have a kid who's just a couple of years away from driving age and I have a wife and I, you know, she drives around our other kids and, you know, I just feel more comfortable with those systems in place for sure. Um, because if my teenage son is, is driving and, and he's, you know, screwing with his friends or something and not paying attention and the person in front of him sons on the brakes, the saves him just one time, absolutely worth it. So, I mean, if it was, if I had no kids and it was just me, you know, maybe I wouldn't really feel like putting more money into these safety systems, but man, if you have anybody you care about, it's worth it in my opinion. Okay. Uh, so you wanted to talk about USB-C. Yeah. So, uh, last fall, I don't think I told anybody on the podcast yet, but I got the, the surface go. I got that as a personal dev machine. Mm -hmm. uh, really, I was just attracted by the, the size of it and just how portable it is. I've been just kind of on a kick. Like, how how small can I get all the stuff that I use? And, you know, when I'm traveling or just moving things across my house, just having as little clutter around me as possible. And one of the things about that device is it just has one single USB-C port, which 
for the most part, it's fine because it also has uh, the dock on there. And to be honest, most of the time, I've got wireless connections, Bluetooth, accessories. It's not a problem. Uh, but one, one something funny happened. We had some peripherals that me and you were together uh, recently, and we wanted to hook them up to our laptops. I have a Surface Go. You have a MacBook that has a USB-C port, and we didn't have a USB-C to USB-A adapter. And it was it was kind of frustrating because I've kind of went out of my way to kind of like think like, okay, what kind of cables and adapters do I need? And, and you know, I even made sure I got like a USB-C to lightning cable for my phone. And I'm like, I have an adapter, but I didn't put in, put it in my bag. And it's like, as like, even though a lot of things are tend- trending towards moving to USB-C, I still have like every single USB style adapter or shape being used today i have mini and micro and a and b and now c all around me and it's like even though we have this promise everything's going to move forward i'm going to be using some of these devices for years yet yeah i'm not going to have the i'm not going to live out the hey where everything's going to move over to one connector and it's going to be great yep so i'm just looking at my desk here so our hardware recorder is mini the uh the the usb interface we use is actually the b interface which is the like the square plug um the the in the wireless charger i have for my iphone is usb c the uh ipad i have sitting here is lightning <laughs> and then i have a little apple watch dongle um and that's usb a to you know basically non chi so like there's not many standards here and i have a whole bunch of usb a stuff um one thing that i did want to talk about though well so i, I guess there's a couple things one is I, I i did buy these little adapters and we should we should include a, a link in the show notes but uh, usb c to usb a adapters um it doesn't matter how many you buy if you buy a thousand you'll still whenever you need one you won't have it you're gonna be one short yeah um they just disappear i don't know how that is i don't know if they're falling on my carpet or what but uh they just disappear but they are really handy to have and they were i think they were like five bucks a piece or something Uh, so those are handy to have um and then the other thing was like i really liked your your setup and i know you've talked about tidbits of this before but like you know we've talked about having short cables for everything and uh, what your setup was is you had a you had an anchor, uh, you know, charging dock basically, which gives you. Um, I don't know what yours. So have, there's but- one po- Yeah, there's one power cable okay. going to this big block, and that yep. block has six high speed USB three ports on them. Okay. Now the one I have in front of me is a little different. This is I'd actually recommend the one I have because mine has four USB A's, and then I have a USB C port on it. Uh, so I can, and it's actually powerful enough. I think it's like either 30 or 60 Watts. I can actually charge my laptop with this, but basically I saw your setup and I'm like, you know, that's pretty genius because I can, it's perfect for, it's perfect for travel for in hotels, right? Because you want to run one cable down to the elusive outlet that you've unplugged the lamp for. (laughs) (laughs) And, and then it comes up to that black box and then basically you short cables for everything because you're going to stack up like I'm going to, you know, my, my watch is going to be there, uh, have a short cable, a short light. Or actually, I have a short cable that go a USB-C cable that goes to my phone dock. I have a little portable phone dock. And then you can also have a, a short lightning cable if you have something that needs to charge with that. Um, but basically you just buy all short cables then and then you're good to go in your hotel room. You have like a little charging station. And, yep, then, and that's exactly how I do it. Yeah. It's, it's great. And not only that, but I never unplug any of those short cables from there. That's purely my traveling. Oh, yeah. That's a good way to do it. Just store it with them in there. Yeah. And I, I keep it with, in my suitcase. That's so perfect. That's a great tip. Do you have, can you charge the Go via USB-C? 
Um, I do not think so. I think you need, Thought ironically, you yeah. need an adapter for it. There's what? a special dongle you have to get to be able to charge it. I thought the Go, you could. Maybe I'm you know, I, could, I could be wrong. Because the headphones but... are USB-C, right? Yes. Okay. Charge, Surface, uh, Go with USB-C. It's a common search. Uh, let's see here. Microsoft Community. What are they saying? I want to get an I want to get an answer to this pretty quick. Uh, but with my laptop, yeah, I just um, it's nice because I can just charge it off that USB C port. And then if you do have that elusive cable that you're talking about, which is USB C to Lightning, you can actually do a fast charge of a certain iPhone models. Um, okay, so it says if you use this USB C port to charge your Surface Go, we recommend using a charger that provides 15 watts and above. So it looks like it does work. It says if you use a charger that's less than 12 watts, your battery might not charge if you're doing things on your Surface. Well, that's every laptop. Um, so that's not unique. Uh, my, my Mac is the same way. I actually, <laughs> I forgot my, um, I forgot the charger one time and uh, my kids were with me and they had the USB-C charger for their Nintendo Switch, which is tiny. Um, and I found that over a day, it would actually charge the laptop. If I was using the laptop, it would it would pull all the power plus drain the batteries. Uh, but I could just sit it there basically unattended and it would charge it. So there you go, Carl. So if you buy the new Anchor, like I have, which has a USB-C uh, port on it, then you can get a C-to-C cable and charge your Go with that. I will have to do that. But I did have one question for you, Carl. So that that's great for your hotel room. But here's my question. If you are on the plane and for some reason your phone, you're like, oh man, I'm at 10% and you need to charge your phone. Uh, all you have is that short cable. Do you just take out the giant Medusa head, uh, you know, the, the black charger basically and plug into that? Or what do you do in that situation? So I am, I am also an avid uh, battery collector. So mm-hmm. I actually have several batteries that I carry with me when I travel. Yeah. One of them is a, a very flat, thin uh, anchor one. And I don't have my video on because I'm having problems with that right now. But um, it actually fits perfectly behind my phone and it's slightly rubberized on the flat side. So like I can put it there with a short cable and use my phone as normal. Well, that's cool. You got, you'll have to send a link to that and put it in the show notes. Okay. Well, that's very cool. Um. Okay. So yeah, I mean... We'll eventually get to this USB-C world. I, I like the I like the feel of it. Like it, um, micro USB just needs to just die a fiery yeah. death. Seriously. So my my ultimate problem with USB-C though is it you still get to the cases like you always had before where the ports are wearing out, like you could on like USB-A, USB micro, yeah. and Have you and so had on and so forth. Wear out though. I've had I've had one get loose because I had a Windows phone that had a USB C okay. and that one uh got loose. Uh what I even though that I understand the bandwidth on a lightning is kind of re- reaching its limit and it's not as good as USB C, I like that that style, the way that it fits in. It every time you plug that in, it feels secure, it stays in there. I like how the lightning physically uh attaches, and I've never had those uh those ports get loose. Yeah. So if, if C yeah. was, if C was designed just a little bit better, I mean, I like the fact that you can reverse it. Right. But, uh, so I've never had a USB C port wear out. I do have a whole bunch that are loose. Um, but I'm not sure if that's a cause for concern because it might, it might just be fine. That might just be the feel of the port. Now you profess your love for, for lightning cables and I am going to balance that a little bit. If you, I don't know if there, if you have a lightning cable that you use often, uh, but take a look at the end 
and yeah, uh, it sparks. Yeah, you get that burnt. Yeah, it'll be that middle pin. I think it is. Yep. And uh, I've had some cables stop working, and then I like sort of sand them down. You like scrape off like the uh, whatever that is, the soot. <laughs> and uh, I think that's crazy that it's like sparking. Um, so that that's the only downside I see to lightning. Other than that, yeah, they're like super. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I, and I'm really talking. I'm not talking about how electrically how it works or the bandwidth, but just how it physically feels when right. you plug it in and out. It's you know, it, it doesn't have that drawback of that I've seen with USB. No, I agree. I mean, it stays like, yeah. I mean, I could, it feels like I could pick up my iPad by the, by the port. So I, I agree with what you're saying there. Um, and then you have a line item in here for new podcasting gear. What did you want to mention there? Well, you know, as much as people, you know, we don't want to talk about it all the time. People are interested in podcasts and how we do them and what kind of gear we use. And we've recently kind of reinvested in the podcast, um, partially because I had some gear that went out. Um, I don't think it w- we really let too many, uh, you know, notifications go out like things were going wrong. But for the last couple episodes, my voice uh, to you sounded like I was sucking on helium. <laughs> yes, it was very amusing. Uh, but, you know, it was just it, through an episode. I'm just like, oh my god, Carl. Luckily, the hardware. You know, we use hardware recorders too. Luckily, that captured the the sound right off the mic, and then we didn't have that issue. Yeah. So, but you know, as part of that, you know, we reinvested. We we got new audio interfaces. We got new microphones, um, cables, adapters, the whole nine yards for that. And um, so, because I needed new one, uh, we swat, swapped out our I/O interfaces for these uh, Scarlett Focusrite Solo interfaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went with just in the past. We had like a dual channel, so it's kind of like a sound mixer where you could have multiple ones. And um, but we only ever used one, so this time we decided to save some money and just go with the solo route, which is more than fine for us. Yeah. I know you really love the knob feel on these. It's got really high end. Uh, knobs that as you turn them they're just smooth and buttery so hopefully that's uh, an indication of how the rest of this device is built yeah it seems like good quality stuff and then the other big thing we did obviously is um, you know I had I'd picked up uh, based on talking to uh, Carl over the other Carl over at uh, .NET Rocks um, he, he was talking to me about these you know the mics that we have on our head you probably can't see them but um, we use these DPA mics, um, in addition to the, we use the Heil, but now we've been using the DPA mics more, but we, we picked up one of them and they're super expensive. I mean, I hate it when podcasts or like people just don't talk money. Uh, but I will tell you because like you're just a Google search away from knowing what the cost is, but one of these microphones costs $700. And then you need a $100 interface to go to XLR, and then you need another $100 interface to go over to USB. Um, I wish they made a micro dot to USB interface, but I digress. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, we got one of these, and, uh, you know, because we had used some whenever we were at Build, and we're like, oh, these are nice, they're, they're comfortable. And the nice thing is, like, I'm turning my head back and forth right now, and you can't tell because the microphone goes with my mouth and in, in our software kind of cleans it up. You know, when we were at that conference, like you couldn't really hear a lot of background noise cause we had such good software. We're using Auphonic for that. Uh, but these, these were really nice for build and, and I didn't think much of it. And then we started realizing, wait a second, you know, we're using high LPR forties plus a spider mount plus a, literally a weight on the bottom for the stand, you know, so they can stand up. I mean, each of those, what do you think those were like seven pounds or something? 
Yeah, they're pretty right? heavy. Yeah, so like, and, and yeah. the thing that was frustrating is not only were they uh, heavy, but they were bulky. Yeah, super so bulky. so, and I, you know, I traveled with it more than you, and I had to have like a, a literal gun case with foam yeah. cutouts, and that made traveling with it a lot harder. Everybody assumed I was carrying rifles. Yep, which I wasn't. Um, I actually had hotel security get called on me once. <laughs> uh, just just because I was doing a podcast, so that was interesting, and they came at midnight, not during a convenient time. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, and with these now, because the microphones fit into this tiny cloth um, and take, and they weigh almost nothing, uh, we can now uh, each carry everything that we need in in a pocket of a backpack. Right. Or if we if we're doing a conference and we're hooking directly into like a hardware recorder, we can literally take four of these headsets plus the hardware recorder plus these you know XLR interfaces, and we can put it in like a tiny like I would just like a tiny man purse. <laughs> yep, or just or a large pencil case. Yeah, yeah, you probably could. I mean, the 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 biggest thing is the hardware recorder. All of the microphones put together are like a fraction of the size of the hardware recorder and the hardware recorder is small, like <laughs> to be clear. So, you know, we spent, um, a ridiculous amount of money. I mean, we're like, you know, whenever we do a conference now, we're using like $4,000 worth of, uh, audio gear. But, you know, in our experience, I think we've talked about this before. Like it's, you are better off if you can buy the best stuff. It tends to be the most reliable and it doesn't fall apart, you know, like Donna rocks. They, they tried a whole bunch of different headsets like this. And they said that the other ones literally just fell apart. Um, so that's why we paid for the, uh, the quality here. Yeah. And even though we aren't entirely open with like exactly how much we make, we do have a commitment that everything goes back to you or gets reinvested in the show. Yeah. So, so right now we're in a little bit of show re- reinvesting phase. Um, I'm also, uh, coming up with more swag giveaways, so hopefully not only will we have nicer stuff to give to you, but uh, we can find more creative ways to, you know, hand it out. Exactly. Okay. So what do you have for the app pick of the week, Carl? Uh, the app pick of the week is, is actually pretty amazing. So uh, you go to this uh, website called remove.gb or .bg. So remove background Yeah. is you can think of it that way. And you just upload an image and it's going to cut out the background. And I, you know, I, I tried it with a bunch of pictures, and one of them it totally mangled. But like <laughs> the other ones that I I picked, I was surprised how well and how often um, it actually cut out the background in, in a way that was acceptable for me. So th- if you have like a you know a picture of yourself where you just want to cut out the background so you can swap it out, or you you want to make a you know a prank for some of your friends or something, you know, and you need the background cut out, try it. Uh, or if you need it for a legitimate work purpose too, I guess, you know, that's why we're here. Um, go to remove.bg oh. and Jason's trying it right now. <laughs> How do you know, Carl? <laughs> you can't help yourself. I can't find my profile pictures. I thought they were in this folder. Uh, but I keep mine in OneDrive. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're going to be out of luck. Sorry, okay. I can't find my profile pictures. So, you, But you can try the next one. Click on the link for the next one. It, and it's under the dev tip of the week, uh, but it's really more of if you've been a developer, there's a game you might find interesting. And I, I'm, I'm calling it, can you guess that RGB? It says not found. What? <laughs> the link that I have does not work? Uh, yeah, so what is white? Is it FFFFFF? <laughs> oh, something <laughs> happened. So I'll, I'll have to find what happened to this. But there's a there's a a game here where it showed you several different uh, 
uh, color swatches, okay. and it had a hex code up there, and it had you click which uh, color swatch matched the RGB value provided. Okay, okay. So I, if it went down, uh, I'm sorry, guys. You'll hear this in, and it's not there, but it, it was working yesterday. That's how good it was. And we, it's all because of this podcast. Like, I know <laughs> nobody can listen live, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we still brought it down. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong. It just says that it, it, the server is up, but it can't find the... Uh, maybe something happened that got moved. I don't know. Yep. Web stuffs. Maybe, yeah, maybe it got popular and he actually picked a decent domain name. <laughs> <laughs> just my luck. Okay. Very cool. Anything else, Carl, before we close? Let's wrap it up. Okay. Where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So it was great talking to you, Carl. Likewise. <laughs>